Welcome to Junction. I'm sure that if you're listening to this podcast, an entrepreneurial bug has bitten you. I truly believe that innovation does not have any kind of boundary. The main intention to start Junction was to motivate the young minds to start up. There has been a huge transition. A few years back, the number of people filling up the rat race forms were over the top. For all the listeners who are not aware of the meaning of the rat race, in simple language, a rat race is an endless self-defeating or pointless pursuit. It is a monotonous way of living where you struggle forever to be financially independent. You work a nine-to-five job, marry in your late 20s, and probably do the job you don't personally like. You're waiting till the age of 60 to get retired and then be happy. Since the startup ecosystem boom in India, I have personally seen many fresh graduates wanting to work in an early stage startup. To be honest, an early stage startup is a crazy place to be. Today on the podcast, I have with me Pramod Rao. Pramod Rao was part of foodiebay.com or now popularly known as the famous IPO startup Zomato. He worked there for more than eight years and has now founded his own startup, Thredo. The beta version is going to be launched soon. So if you wish to have the early stage access, go right ahead to thredo.com. If you wish to learn about community building, community management, or marketing in general, please follow Pramod on LinkedIn. So glad to have you on my podcast, boss. Hey, um, thanks, Akash. Um, thanks for having me on the podcast. And uh, looking forward to your questions ahead. Yeah. So bef- before we get the ball rolling, I would really would want to know that how did you join Zomato in such a nascent stage? And if I'm not wrong, before working in Zomato, you were working in Bain & Company. So yeah. how did this transition happen? Because everyone in college around the year of 2005, 2007 was looking for stable jobs. Why work in a startup? Yeah. Um, so uh, my first job after uh, um, college like was at Bain & Company. So I joined in 20, 2007. Um, Bain itself was very young in uh, India back then. I think we Bain had started off in 2004. Um, so it's three years into India. Uh, so there's a small team of about 20-odd people. Uh, when I had joined, um, with a, you know, our batch sort of added another 20 more. So uh, still very young from, and, and you could say a startup in a consulting domain, uh, right? And I was fortunate enough to meet um, um, a very uh, enterprising batch of like young people. Um, you know, Bain has led to, you know, obviously Foodie Bay taking off. And then Delivery was another startup that uh, started off from uh, Bain alumni who were my seniors at Bain as well. Um, so, yeah, I spent three years at Bain and that's where, um, so I had worked and uh, very closely with uh, the founders of Foodie Bay um, and, and now Zomato. And I'd seen Foodie Bay take off as a product, like a weekend project, uh, which started off at Bain itself. Um, so we used to have these menus in the cafeteria, which we used to go and, and like take and bring it to our desk for lunch. 
and most of the time like you know we don't remember to keep it back right so uh, the vendor um, and uh, you know first took all those menus scanned them and put it on an internal website um and and saw that you know we we started using it on a regular basis and then um, he and pankaj got on board and started building this database of restaurants in and around um, gurgaon and delhi and cr um and i start i mean that's how like the the birth of uh, foodie bay took place is essentially we went live with 100 uh, restaurant menus um in in delhi and cr right and um, and that was the utility of the product so if you wanted to order or like you know order lunch to your office you could go and see the menu uh, of the restaurant right on on and for any restaurant that's there in the city right um around 2010 is when i joined uh, uh, late 2010 is when i joined uh, foodie bay uh, so both dipendra and pankaj had um, started this as a weekend project did it part time at bain and then eventually uh, took the plunge um, in 2009 uh, to do it full time and and you know, after 3 years at bain i wanted to move out i was looking at other opportunities and back then um, i had taken a conscious decision that i know i'd wanted to try something different from a corporate job um there was one so there were not too many startups around i think flipkart uh, was there and then there was quicker in mumbai um as zomato foodie bay was just taking off so for me um i didn't know at that point if there was a role or not at foodie bay i think and, and it so happened in discussions pankaj brought it up that you know they were looking to hire uh, someone for the marketing role and um, i was interested in moving in that direction so yeah so we had like a couple of discussions and and then you know for me i i took a leap of faith because for me like i knew the founders well i'd worked with them uh, on several projects at bain and i was a regular user of the product so um it was a no brainer decision to like you know sort of jump in i didn't really think about whether we'd be super successful or anything for me it was like these guys like i worked with um i i want to like enjoy building something completely new uh maybe learn for uh two three years and then see where it goes right so that was pretty much it and uh over a weekend i think i just decided that yeah cool i'm joining uh foodie bay right Yeah. I can see that this was an impulsive decision and a leap of faith decision and a conscious conscious decision as well. All of it was like a cocktail mix because you knew them beforehand and you personally used the product and you felt that this was something that can scale up. So, uh, like, how did you go to your family or like did uh, you personally decide that I'm going to do this? uh yeah so I, i think i took the decision first and then let my uh, folks know it is obviously not like uh, a, a great conversation i remember from back then because uh, foodie bay was not known uh, at all like you know uh, but uh, at least like i knew the founders so that that element uh, gave some assurance uh, right but uh, my parents were like you know leaving a corporate job and 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 going to something which we've never heard of uh, are you even taking the right decision or and and so on right um i think uh, yeah so that that's always the case i i feel like you know with major choices but yeah i just felt that um, you know what's the worst that will happen right like it will be two years of immense learning and then like you know maybe i can go back in the job market and find something else if nothing works out so um, but yeah obviously 
yeah, we had a lot of heated uh, discussions around this, uh, but it helped that I was in Gurgaon and uh, my my folks were in Bangalore at that point. So I stuck with my decision and uh, yeah, went ahead. Yes, like when you really want something, you will always stick towards that. And taking a leap of faith decision is very important because once in a lifetime, you really have that point. If you don't take that, maybe you would fall eventually. But if you do not take it at the right moment, you'll have a lot of regret. So this feels great. And in 2010, uh, I was like... A not even teenager that time. I didn't even know what a startup meant. And uh, so what was the entire startup ecosystem in India, particularly in 2010, if you could walk us through that. Yeah. So um, it, it was very early, right? Um, the, so a lot of the things we were doing were, uh, we had to learn on the go and uh, implement. Um, there were a few examples, like for example, a Flipkart had started out, um, uh, maybe around one year before us in 2007. So, um, and it scaled to a reasonable size. So, uh, you know, we could learn a few things from how they were going about scaling the operations, but they were a different uh, sector or a domain altogether, right? Uh, Quicker again was there, but then it was a different domain. So mostly, yeah, thanks. There was thanks to like Google, like, you know, I, I remember, so early days of marketing, um, I literally be learning about AdWords and, and then implementing it. And uh, there, there wasn't much of like today, for example, if there's an element of like what I'm working on that I'm not clear on, there are experts around who I can just, you know, reach out to spend an hour, get an understanding. Um, back then it was very difficult to uh, do that or did not come top of mind at all as one of the things to do. Uh, so it's mostly just Googling and uh, trying out and uh, different experiments and seeing which ones work and uh, build it, right? I think Gurgaon uh, has had like at that point, uh, uh, you know, it was still in the nascent stages, but, you know, we were there. I think Make My Trip was, uh, you know, close by uh, Paytm that started off in, in Gurgaon as well. So it was just a nascent uh, time for the startup ecosystem at that point. Um, there was plug dot in, uh, which I remember the ne- which is, um, sort of at that point, it was like the tech crunch of, uh, India and then media Nama. Um, these were two who were covering the tech space, um, and were pretty active. And then your story came up after that. So, so these three were, were there where we sort of got to know about other startups in the space and connected with them, uh, and learned from them. Right. That is, uh, I wish I could see that I was born and present but I didn't see that I have now when you walk me through it now I can understand that 2010 it was a hustle bustle time and now if we see in 2020 all of these startups are already on the unicorn list or have are planning their IPOs so this is something which shows that the ecosystem is constantly booming and it is not going to go down also um, that is around hmm. around the time was when i think uh, around the time i joined as well was um, when the mobile ecosystem started taking off right so um till then it was largely web right and and then 2011 is when uh, um, app ecosystem around uh, on like you know, back then even blackberry existed um, so BlackBerry, um, iOS, uh, Android, and Windows uh, platforms started taking off 2011 and 12. 
right? So, um, and, and I remember we were one of the earliest local search apps um, to be on the app store. So that, that started taking off, I think the early stages, and then obviously that led to the mobile boom and then Geo sort of, you know, has scaled up, uh, taken it to another level um, from 2014 to like 17 or 18. Right. So I think the early days of mobile ecosystem was also starting out around that time. Mobile ecosystem in India. I remember when I got my first iPhone, but it was, I think the 3GS, my dad got it. It was truly something, even it was so simplistic and it was like a product which had like so many powers inside. So I was like, this is a great product. And eventually then everyone started to get phones in India and as you said, BlackBerry is not there anymore, but I thought I always used to feel that BlackBerry was an OG phone, to be honest. Yeah. So, so after that, uh, then, uh, so the nine or the eight years you have been in Zomato. So how was the feeling since day one till the end? Yeah. Um, so I, I, Actually, I had a very uh, fulfilling non-linear journey at Zomato, right? In the sense, I, I was fortunate enough to, um, you know, join at a stage where we were just starting out. And then, you know, I think right from the start, uh, there was always this one person done mentality that we've always had, right? Um, and that, that goes to, like at any stage, we never felt that, you know, we've arrived or, you know, this is status quo, right? And, and that's something that I truly uh, feel defined the culture at uh, Zomato, right? Um, there, and, and then one of the reasons also, which like wanted like, you know, me to uh, uh, like internally, I felt like, you know, okay, let me figure, stay here more and like, you know, discover more what, what's gonna happen next. That always existed. I could never imagine back in 2010, what we would be doing in 2011 or 2012. Um, and then when you look back in 2012, you're like, well, I could not have imagined like, you know, this two years back. Right. So that's always been the case, like at uh, Zomato, which is where I think if you work backwards, like the one person done culture sort of, um, results in those outcomes, um, that plus, I think the people, um, at Zomato, I, I, um, really got to work with extremely smart people. Uh, learned a lot, like, you know, which is cross-discipline across like multiple domains. Um, and, and yeah, that I, I would say these were the uh, two things that stand out for me, right? Like a one, one person done culture there and then people at Zomato, right? Um, and yeah, if there was a third one that'd be more, like I enjoyed build, like delighting customers. So like, you know, a lot of um, what we did was how do we really provide a great experience for customers and whatever we did, especially so like, you know, because I was looking at marketing and user growth, um, I, um, you know, thoroughly enjoyed like, you know, going through that journey of, uh, uh, zero to one, one to 10 and 10 to hundred yeah, on that front. To all the listeners, all, please always work with smarter people. I've seen so many people that they get as inferiority complex if you if we work with an extremely smarter person than you but if you work with them you will catch their vibe and you will also lead to be a smarter person so never hesitate to work with a smarter person then 
like then the end why did you decide that now i want to leave zomato because in 2019 it was on the boom and after two years it got an ipo as well so uh on a side note did you have esops as well and uh if so like how can the founding members of a team of a startup like is because they have doubts that is esops worth it or not so what is your take upon esops as well yeah um so yeah first uh, on you know i think 2019 it was about eight and a half years um, at zomato so for me uh, i had i'd done like multiple roles as well i think um, uh, it was more just a decision to like explore and and figure out what i wanted to do next um, i had also transitioned from gurgaon to bangalore at that point so my uh, you know my hometown and my folks uh, are at bangalore so personally it was a choice to shift here and like you know spend um you know basically settle down in bangalore and and that was sort of transition uh for me where you know i was and that led me to also like decide that you know maybe it's a good time to uh take a break also i felt that um after the transition from gurgaon to bangalore i think the team uh was i spent a good amount of time in bangalore sort of you know uh helping with the bangalore uh, team here like build the zomato bangalore uh, uh presence and uh, once it had reached a stage where i felt the team could carry it forward i i decided to take a break and uh, just you know explore what next right um did not have any agenda but yeah, it was just more you know let's let's just see what what next can be done and uh, um that that was about it uh, yeah as a um uh early employee like i did have esops and uh, i i strongly believe that startups um should have a very friendly esop policy um it is see like any startup i think uh most startups like you know fail but you know startups become successful because largely because of the team and the execution right um and especially the early employees like who stay uh for years together and then help build um the product and and the journey um and, and i think like esops are a great way for them to own or be a part like own that journey like be a, a part of that journey right um so yeah i i think like my recommendation for any startup is to always like err on the side of a very friendly esop policy and uh, same thing on the side of the uh, employee is to um definitely like you know look at esops um uh, as um yeah. i think a way for you to own or like you know be be a part of the journey but also like you know feel that you're uh, uh, you you actually own own or own a part of it as well right so it's a great opportunity to experience that right so um yeah and i think uh, uh with how um we are seeing a lot of startups like you know uh like today like i think there's a larger belief that esops like a really uh, a, a great way and, and a great outcome for uh, some of the early stage employees i i hope like you know more and more startups sort of uh, take it uh, a lot more seriously as well true uh, i was recently reading an article where i saw there's an early stage startup uh, you you know about fampay right yes so uh no the the founding member of fampay he left recently and he has started his own fintech startup known as totoys so he recently wrote an article where he shared that he put out 30% of 
uh, ownership in the form of ESOPs on the table for his employees. And he can see there's been a up, like an upscale or an up graph where employees are the employees are feeling more happy and they're being more productive end of the day. And they're trying to constantly scale up earlier than when they did not, they were just being paid a stipend or a salary. So ESOPs bring great culture change as well. And I think all startups should do that. So just to add to that, I think ESOPs definitely a great, uh, uh, I would say tool to uh, provide uh, ownership to employees but i think like that that's one but it's also how you uh, build the team right and uh, it's very important on uh, I mean, one is like you know having esops but then um, it's actually like how how is the team built and you know how do you uh, allow for people to grow in the organization um, allow them to take responsibilities and then allow them to take decisions all of that goes towards like building a great culture and, and the feeling that, you know, um, everyone is actually uh, shaping the journey, right? Uh, so ESOPs is just a tool, but I think like there's a whole like a team, how, how the leadership and like, you know, everyone sort of, you know, together comes around solving for customers uh, is also equally important. You shifted to Bangalore and I personally always wanted to visit Bangalore and I hope that when I come there, I'll be able catch over a cup of coffee. So uh, after that, uh, you then uh, were like when you left Somato, now you had to find something. So how did you stumble across the idea of Thedo? Or did you had the idea before leaving Zomato? What was it exactly? Um, No, I didn't have the idea when I moved on from Zomato, right? So uh, I um, uh, took a break and then I uh, explored several other ideas right you know my idea was to um, just experience a few more domains um, um, and and get an understanding of other industries um, before sort of zeroing on one problem to solve for and um, I I, in my head I was like you know I want to take time to land like I was no rush uh, to um, jump on to the next idea and I, I wanted to be sure that um, or at least relatively sure that you know, this is a space that you know, I wanted to pursue something on. So the way to where, where I went about it was obviously speak to other founders, speak to um, uh, you know uh, people who were uh, on a break themselves and like trying to figure out how they're going about the process. Um, speak to like you know multiple uh, stakeholders in the space, uh, try and get their perspective on uh, different industries. I did a consulting, couple of consulting gigs. Um, and then tried a few ideas, um, and, and, and then finally zeroed in on like Thredo, uh, after one and a half years. Right. So it was a discovery journey, um, which is not like planned, but I think, uh, um, I sort of put like one day ahead and like went ahead one day at a time and then finally landed up on Thredo. Yeah. I think the one person mentality was ingrained in you by the Zomato culture. Uh, yeah, if there's one takeaway, like even, um, in fact, even at Thredo, we, we have that DNA um, of one person done. I think it's important uh, to, um, I mean, currently we are probably like, you know, point like 0001 person done, but uh, it's always good to have that learning uh, mindset 
uh, and a growth mindset um, and and never feeling like you know you have you have arrived but uh, always you can always do things better like you know at some some point or the other the the biggest advantage i feel of taking the break and you took the entire break for this only was for self discovery and for self analysis and you try to understand that how can i do this how to solve this 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 so this or if you ever are stuck in the middle always kind of take a break and then try to analyze everything going super fast is always not the solution then uh, so share us more what can what is the vision of thedo and what can thedo solve for the potential users yeah sure um so like a, a large part of my journey at at zomato right uh, was around like i said user growth and marketing and um, you know i up till 2016 we had a very strong focus on content and community uh, being the bedrock or like the foundation of uh, zomato and even it is till today right so we had a very strong uh, community playbook um, as we went into every market that we executed um and i, I think uh, one of the learnings is that you know it's very easy to replicate products but very difficult to replicate the network effects of like a community around a product right so that was one key uh, insight that i had like you know of uh, after managing a team of like you know 35 to 40 community managers and looking at community sort of be the core of uh, of zomato over the years um and uh, back in 2020 once the you know uh, the pandemic hit and everything moved online uh, started seeing like all the several platforms today where groups of users get formed uh, and it's super easy for communities to form around a shared purpose and and that started taking off in a massive way right got accelerated by at least 5 years or so and you know tradition and and in parallel traditional forms of marketing are becoming more inefficient right so uh, what we are seeing is that over the years from you know brands have moved from sales led growth to product led growth right which is like today i think product led growth is um a great way to like sort of you know think about growth for your business and then community is starting to take off um and, and you know because primarily because it, there are multiple benefits for community uh, for your business in the long run right it takes time um for a community to form and scale and get value and add value to each other in the in the community but um, the long term benefits of it um, are immense because you you are basically um, solving people's problem and you know providing them value in the form of a community and 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 that drives like loyalty that drives organic growth that drives like you know um, your costs down uh, over time so longer term vision is you know help businesses uh leverage community to um build their business build and scale their business right um and uh, help shape that uh, community led uh future essentially um and what we do is um, we are a control center to manage an online community no matter where it exists so any business that has a community focus can use thredo um to sort of get insights on what the community is doing um get recommendations on um, you know how to drive engagement and support um and uh, and anyway yeah, we we automate the tasks so there's also operational ease that uh, we provide for the marketing teams and the community builders so uh, this feels truly amazing and i love the line that 
products can still be imitated but communities are very it's almost impossible to imitate a community so this is like a lot of brands should focus now on community building and they are as you mentioned that earlier it was sales led growth then product led growth now it's community led growth yeah. and i hope more brands continue the path of community building if you had to give one kind of advice to all the brand owners that how can they uh do community building like ensure that their communities are tight what can they do yeah so um and it's not a easy way to break this down i think uh, there is no one playbook that uh, applies to like all communities um but i i and first start off with like is there like one is like not every business needs a community right i think like it's very important to understand uh if there is a use case for uh, your your domain or your your product right so the community could be around your product for example right um, and give it to give you uh, like for example figma like uh, you you know people go for the tool but they stay for the network right so that because like the community helps you get you know other templates and you learn from other designers and so on and the tool itself gives you value you, you know for designers it's easy to use uh, for design teams also it's like easy to collaborate um so that's one kind of community where uh, you know the purpose that okay there is value for the individual and the network of people or designers help each other out and they showcase their work uh, so there's a purpose around the community where everybody wants the other person to succeed right so that's that's core to understanding uh, you know who's your persona you know is there what is the problem and and does the community help solve that problem right there could be another type of community like for example if there's a hr software right um maybe there's there isn't a community from how to use the product use case but i think there there is a community use case for hr professionals to you know sort of learn from each other on what are the best practices um basically solve for the uh, personas problems not the product uh, essentially right so that's the second type of uh, community where um you know you sort of create a community for professionals of a particular category and um, you you host webinars you do like engagement activities that help solve them their problems and help them learn from each other right so i think brand should actually first understand who is that persona um what is the like why are they using your product and and you know, what is the value that you can bring from the network oh yeah i think this was such a great insight and i don't think you'll anyone will find this insight on anywhere this is i think very like unique and if brands start implementing this they will see more growth so the last question was that uh, i have like when i was going to have podcast with you i shared it with my friends as well so they always have a question which i want you to answer like fund the people and students think that funding is a very tough process and okay if i can make a community with can i have the potential to get funded on that or will i need a concrete business model so i shared them the example of instagram so instagram had a huge network effort effect and people were getting addicted to the platform but they did not have a business model per se so then facebook still acquired it and brought it to the scale we can see so do you think funding can be available if you have a huge community and the potential to be monetized 
Yeah, so I think taking a step back, um, one is like, you know, if, if there are two types of business, like either you need funding or like, you know, uh, uh, you can build a business uh, without funding as well, right? So, um, so let's take, okay, like, you know, if it needs funding, like, you know, then I think it, it's important to understand, I think not so much that, you know, you have a community and then hence you can, you know, get the funding. I think it's more on what is that unique insight that you have in terms of the problem that exists, right? And um, is there a solution that, um, that you're, you're, you know, that solves that problem and, and you've sort of, yeah, and you're the right person to, you know, build that out, right? So I think early stage, what really matters is that you have identified a problem that's large, right? And, and that exists and it's sizable. And uh, you have this unique insight that allows you to build a solution. Right. And, and, and then you're the right person to build it because um, maybe you experienced the problem yourself um, or you have had experience, you know, through going through that problem for several years and so on. So I think mostly it's around that. And obviously, yes, like, you know, if you have attraction uh, for your business that you've tried out, it does help. Um, and, um, and because that shows that you've executed it, you've tried it, you've taken the risk, you've gone ahead and, added value to like customers and customers are you know finding it valuable right um i think those are more important elements to uh fundraise true true uh one of the best conversations i've had thank you so much for being on my podcast remote and uh, thanks a lot Akash. thanks for the opportunity thank you thank welcome to junction today we have a new age entrepreneur with us and we're going to play a rapid fire round with him so are you ready promote Yes, go ahead. Uh, team of five inexperienced yet fast-making pe- uh, team members versus team of very experienced people but slow in the process. Uh, the first one. Okay. Uh, hundred mistakes every one every month or one mistake every year. Hundred mistakes every month. Vijay Shekhar Sharma or Bhavesh Agarwal. Uh, no one. Ritesh Agarwal or Kunal Shah? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't have a pick. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Impact making or wealth making? Impact making. Most underrated startup in India? Um, I think about this. I, I, I mean, I have to say Postman, but it's not underrated now. Uh, they're pretty well known, right? But uh, I think what they, yeah, and maybe Zetwork. Um, people, not a lot of people know about Zetwork, but I think uh, these two come to mind. Uh, yeah. One startup you would like to see on the unicorn list? Small case. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank, thanks a lot, Agar. Thank you. Uh, yeah.